Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast. Uh, today, I am speaking with a friend and colleague of mine named Tim Wirtz. Uh, Tim has been a meditator for, uh, I believe, about two decades, maybe longer. Uh, and one of the things that I find fascinating about Tim as a, as a longtime practitioner of meditation uh, and also a Christian is that uh, he said at some point after having meditated for a long time, he started to find that his, his reading of scripture, of, of the Christian scriptures changed, it shifted. He started to hear things differently than he had before. And so uh, in this podcast episode, I'm happy to have Tim joining us today because I, I wanted to speak with him about that shift and how, that he, how he was hearing scripture uh, that appeared to be influenced by his practice of meditation. So Tim, first of all, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. Uh, and maybe to start, you could give us a little bit of background about your upbringing in the Christian faith. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, a good place to start because looking back on it, I think that's a very important, uh, the context is, is critical. And um, so I grew up, and was primarily raised by my grandparents in a very small southern town here in South Carolina. And my church experience uh, was one of regularity. We went to church, right? That was a whole social thing. You just went to church. It wasn't like I was some type of a crazy kid who was all into church. I, I was just like any other kid. It could be boring and whatnot. Uh, some of the earlier memories were, some of the more interesting memories were revivals. I don't know if you know about Southern revivals or not, but somebody like a traveling preacher would come around to, I don't know, boost the church, if you will. And it usually started on a Sunday and it ended on a Thursday and in between you'd have altar calls, right? And it was always interesting because, um, well, we went because people brought good food. That was part of it. It was in the evening. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> as a kid, it was fascinating because you'd have the regulars there, the people who would go to church on a regular basis, the, you know, the, the foundational people. And then you'd have uh, others almost drug into church or felt called to come. And I would find it fascinating because there would be energetic shifts that would occur. Um, and the, I'm just going to kind of create some characters. They're not far off from the truth, but the, the local drunk, so to speak, uh, specifically was changed in one of these. I mean, literally changed and cleaned up and never went back. Mm. Uh, so I was kind of fascinated between those, um, uh, those who got impacted and you could feel it, right? And then who was able to stay on the path and those who would come and then kind of go back off. And um, so I knew there was something almost magical there. I would see at the church. Now scripture and everything else were, was, was pretty boring, uh, but I would go nonetheless because I was with my grandparents, like I said. I think it's probably not too atypical for a lot of uh, kids growing up in the 70s at the time. Um, I never really had any real profound spiritual experience 
necessarily at church. Uh, that occurred later when I um, began, I had an experience um, that put me on the spiritual path, not necessarily church related. And uh, before I go too far down the, the path here, but that got me on a spiritual path, which led me to meditation. This occurred in the early nineties that eventually brought me back around to scripture and, uh, and, and, and experiencing it differently. Mm. So um, I don't know if that helps or not, but. It definitely helps. So just out of curiosity, how small was the town that you grew up in? Waterloo, South Carolina, you have maybe a few thousand people. The church on a busy day would be, um, you know, 40 people or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So well, very small. small yeah. 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 See. Um, so you just made a distinction between your, maybe we could say your religious upbringing, and then that moment where you got you found your way onto a spiritual path. Yes. So before we go any further, just briefly, what would you, how would you define that distinction between your, your religious upbringing and the spiritual path that you, find your, you found yourself on later? You know, it felt as if the religious upbringing was more of an obligation. Mm-hmm. And more of belief focused yes and to some degree just to keep you in line mm -hmm. you know don't drink no premarital sex all that kind of stuff that no teenager ever wants to hear um and then when i went to school and studied engineering and really started thinking uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, Everything I'd lived through to that point, especially knowing the history of the church and, and the parts that are not that pleasant and, and quite warlike, um, I kind of walked away from it. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing for me. It felt like there was nothing for me there. It was no way of transformation. There was no juice to it. It was more just, here's what you got to do. You just got to believe right. Uh, the spiritual part, when it occurred, it kind of occurred out of the blue. Mm -hmm. um, it was I probably was around 25, and there was a lot of things shifting in my own life. Um, and I was really questioning the path I was on. Not quite sure, because it seemed to be the only path that was laid out in front of me. And it was like a weight was lifted. I was literally on the cliffs of uh, at Santa Cruz on a on a business trip, and I had some free time. Um, and when that happened, everything shifted. Um, life. So can, you, can can you take us right through that moment? Yeah, yeah. So I had uh, actually I, I was I was in the midst of a like a three week what we called. Um, uh, I worked for a technology company. We made computers, right? And there was a critical crit sit, critical situation. And crit sits are when everybody has all hands on deck. And there was a particular component that I was responsible for because I picked it and put it in the design. And I went to Australia, trying to actually act up the Walmart of Australia 
right, to debug what was going on. Then I went to Singapore, and there was a lot of pressure figuring out where the thing was manufactured. Then I come to Scotts Valley, California, where the software was being programmed. We're trying to figure this issue out. And it was almost like a metaphor for my life, really, because I just felt this pressure, right? It was the, the tangible crit set that I was trying to live through, uh, pursuing this path of you've got, like school, felt like school was just going to continue, you know, career was school, you got to perform well, this is a test. In three weeks of that, and, and also, like I said, I was getting out of a relationship I'd been in for about eight years, high school sweetheart, college sweetheart, I was really questioning whether I was even doing the right thing, electrical engineering, I didn't know what I got into, and I was realizing it's not quite what I expected. And and I, I was taking some time. I decided to turn in my rental car and just get a bike because, uh, and bike over to Santa Cruz in the evening to kind of blow off steam. And I sat down on a bench, but all the stuff, all the stuff swirling around at the same time. And all of a sudden, it was almost like, it's hard to put words to it. It was almost like, it's all okay. Everything's okay. And it literally felt okay. Right. And, and everything that was not paying attention to the view of the Pacific. Right. As the sun's going down, something I never saw because I grew up on the East Coast. The cliffs, the wind, the people on the bike trail, a little lighthouse that was beside me. It was so vivid and beautiful. And I think the, the essence of it at its deepest level was this moment is precious. Every moment is precious, hmm. regardless of the situation you're in. And then that it's all okay. Um, and for the next three or four days, it was, I mean, it was, I, I, everything just was um, magical, mm -hmm. very vivid. There was a very, uh, visual vividness to everything too. It was kind of interesting. Um, and I, I never knew life could be like that. It was a curiosity that perked up. What is this? Wow. And, um, there was a gratitude is filled with gratitude, right? It was just, just grateful. Even in this crit sit situation, I'm like, it's all okay. You know, <laughs> everything's okay. I remember even talking to, and in my, uh, I, I never journaled up to that point And I had a, uh, notebook to kind of track how we were progressing with the crit sit and and I still have it somewhere buried and I wrote down of all these formulas and all the different things and the tests we're running I just took one page and I said something just happened and I don't think I'll ever be the same again right and I, I, I never have been and life has been different ever since mm. So that's how I got on what I would call a spiritual path. I had no idea where to go. I think this was in 91, 90 or something like that. Didn't know we didn't have the online aspect. I was still living in South Carolina. So I didn't know, but I knew there was something much, much more. And you didn't feel drawn to a deeper dive to the church? No, I, I did not, especially at that time, because... Um, I never fully pulled out of the church. I was actually helping with youth and things like that, but I just felt like what they were offering was more restrictive, mm -hmm. um, more 
I don't know, almost felt claustrophobic. And I actually would feel bad going to the youth group and getting your little book out and like, I got to tell these kids this stuff, you know. And uh, the good news was not good news, right? I mean, you, I'm, not, I'm not sure about the listeners here, but if you're in the South, in the Bible Belt, the good news is this dude named Jesus, son of God, perfect in all ways, has to die for your sins. And you're supposed to high five about that. So it never made any sense to me. So, um, so it didn't draw me back to the church. It actually pulled me more to, I had an academic mind. So it pulled me literally to the library. Mm. And I would just go to the philosophy section and just wander around, hoping a book would call out to me. Honestly, mm. it was that much. Uh, I was that much in the um, wilderness, not really knowing. And several did. <laughs> it was quite interesting, the ones that popped out. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then how did you get on? Did you start your meditation practice? Yeah. So while I was in um, Santa Cruz, before I even left, I went to some used bookstore. And again, I just, I would do this with, um, with books and bookstores, with novels. I would try to like, mm, see what kind of appealed to me. And sometimes it'd be amazing. Sometimes it wouldn't. But I went into the bookstore with no real intention other than maybe the energy would bring, I know it sounds strange, but you know, the book, the right book would come. And there was some book, I'm sure I still have it, but it, it talked about the oversoul. It was a used book, the oversoul. I think it was, I don't know if that's termed used in uh, Hinduism or what, but it was. Well, the oversoul of, is a, a term that Ralph Waldo Emerson used. Uh, he wrote an essay called The Oversoul and it was a big part of what he was teaching. I don't, I don't know if, I always assumed he was the originator of the term, but I don't know if he was. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's someone um, after him. It wasn't Emerson or, or if there was some other way it's used, but it, it was very much uh, built kind of a, a different description of the universe for me, but it had meditation as part of it. So I would just sit by myself when I got back uh, and meditate without really any direct teaching from anyone. Um, so that's what I would do, not knowing if I'm doing it right or wrong or anything. And so then for the next 10, 20 years, you were reading things, meditating, eventually online programs happened. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, no, that's, that's, things shifted there again. Uh, at some point I came across, uh, Ken Wilber's, a brief history of everything. And um, this probably would be maybe late 90s, mid 90s. I'm not sure, but it really appealed to me from all different quadrants, if you're familiar with uh, Integral. Um, and it painted a whole different picture. And then by reading his works led me more to traditional meditation and mm -hmm. that it's, it's not an all or nothing. It's not a spiritual life or, you know, a, you know, more of a modern intellectual life or whatever it's all together you know it's all one um and and eventually craig hamilton he i think he had left uh enlighten x and he he hadn't started his online stuff and but he was advertising as a coach mm. just doing some coaching on the side okay yeah and and i saw that so i i i got coached by Craig. I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, about eight sessions or whatever. And Craig said, listen, I'm going to do this little program. Um, 
and it's I'm just going to take about 10 people and we're going to try to do it. It still wasn't online. It was still via phone conference calls. And we went through it and gave feedback on what worked, what didn't, you know, he was getting his thing down. And then he said, I'm going to do like a six weeks. It might've been nine weeks. I can't remember, but I'm going to put it out to the public. And it was going to, and he did it and it worked well. And then he did several year long things that, and I was, that was um, another huge shift because it really, it was almost like the right thing at the right time. It was before a lot of online classes really took hold. So the people who were drawn to it, I think they were like me where they were eager to connect. Uh, and looking back on it, we did a massive amount of work. Craig had us break into practice circles and the amount of homework was amazing. And uh, you know, I don't know if I could even do it now, but you, you would have to read other people's uh, input. Then you had to comment on two or three of them and there was guidelines, but the, the power of the Sangha, if you will, the group is that's when it really hit me that transformation um, gets a supercharge boost when we, you worth others. And I never, I still, I, I tended to be an introvert. So I still like the idea of meditation, you know, by myself, I can do this on my own. So that was huge. And I still, um, you know, I, I still am really good friends with people I've never met in person, mm. but I knew from the practice circles and we stay in touch. It's amazing, really. Awesome. That was my first line, uh, first online type experience. And it was a great one. Yeah. And then you continued to do online work. And yes. at, at what point did you notice, do you remember a specific time when you started to notice that scripture had come alive for you? Yes. Yeah, I do. And I, um, I definitely wasn't looking for it or asking for it. Um, I still was involved with church. I'd got back involved with church because I have two small boys at the time. Um, and I just felt like they needed something, right? Uh, some tradition, some regularity, something more than life's about just you. You know, there's a bigger thing. So we're going to get involved in church. So I was still involved, but similar type of resistance to it from letting it touch my heart. And I was actually at a, one of your retreats. Um, I don't know if it was in Philadelphia or Asheville, but I was meditating. And of course, part of meditating is part of the practice anyway. Um, the sitting is to let everything be not to get attached, but I started getting these downloads. It felt like a download, <laughs> really did. I mean, it just kept coming and coming where certain scripture would be almost instantaneously reinterpreted, pointing to the teachings that I was getting, had gotten from Ken, from you, from Craig, uh, from all these teachers. It was like, wow, whoa. You know, if, if that's what Jesus was pointing to or the Apostle Paul or whatever, then, then they're talking about exactly the juicy part of spiritual practice that attracted me. They're mm. talking about awakening. They're talking about transformation. Right. They're talking about, you know, um, this is not all you. It's not a self-improvement pro uh, project. And it's not just um, are you in the group or out? 
right? Mm -hmm. And it, it started feeling like good news. It's like, this could be good, right? And, uh, <laughs> and it's a massive about a, it's details. I mean, it would come like my brain had been working on it for a long time. But mm -hmm. I, I was not reading a lot of Christian. I mean, I was familiar with Richard Rohr and Cynthia Bougeau, and they do touch on this, and Father Thomas Keating. But it was different. It felt different, right? It felt more organic. And I, it's not me, but it did feel like a download. It really did. So that's when it was like, whoa. Yeah. Right. Can you give us an example of one of, one of the things that got downloaded? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll give you two. Um, the first one, because I was having to teach the Gospel of Mark, if you're familiar with the, uh, uh, the New Testament, there's four Gospels, and Mark's the oldest one. The first one was, it was it's a cool Gospel because it's almost like an, a summer blockbuster movie. It's very action. Jesus went here. He's very, not much contemplation. He says very little. He's on the go. They cut out all the fat from the story. There's no birth narrative or anything. And, and, and he goes to hang out with his wild dude named John the Baptist, who's on the edge, right? So it was very visual. visual. And, uh, and he gets baptized, which was not, you know, we think baptism now, but back then that was, that was kind of a radical thing. It wasn't regular part of Jewish tradition. You know, it wasn't like what we think of it now. Uh, and he comes up and he has this unitive experience because it says he, you know, he, he comes up and, and God's like, you're my son, right? Um, I'm very proud. Uh, or something like that, you know, but it was just him. It wasn't later in the other gospels are written later. It becomes more and more dramatic, like a big, you know, like everybody heard it and forces from the cloud. But then, and he goes to me, it says the spirit drove him to the desert after that. So he has this thing. And he's, if he's around 30, then, then back then, you know, it, it was like, he's still seeking if he's hanging out at the edge of establishment. So he has his experience and I pictured him when it came to download us, I pictured him like us seekers, right? He has it, doesn't know what to do with it because even though it's put in words in the Bible, it usually it's like, what the heck was that? And he goes to the desert, he goes into some kind of isolation, try to assimilate it. And he's tempted, that's when he's tempted. And, and to me, it feels like the temptations were would make sense is what do you do with it? Do you take it personal? Is it all about you, that special, whatever? Um, but then he comes out and he says, and here's this main message, right? Um, he said, here are the gospel, here are the good news. Um, he says, re repent. Now, repent's a loaded word, but actually the word that was written in is metanoia, which means change your heart and mind. In your terms, it would be a paradigm change. Change how you see life and know that this kingdom of heaven is now, is at hand, you know, is, is here. That's kind of the message. Uh, and, and you kind of need to know the context of where he was because there's been this idea of the kingdom of heaven for hundreds of years. The Jewish was like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, and it was them being liberated from whoever happened to be ruling them at the time, right? Um, and he, his point was, you got to change how you're thinking. It's almost like the future thinking. It's now. 
it's now, you know. So that was one. And that's kind of good news. It's kind of like, um, wake up, mm. right? Wake up, uh, stop seeking. <laughs> stop trying to get all the rules right, which is what he's, he's constantly running into the rule, you know, the rule people, Pharisees. Right. And, so that was one, I'm like, wow, now that's a good news I can get behind. Mm -hmm. And the other one that hit me real clearly that I shared with, um, someone at a break uh, during the retreat was was the one of the merchant who was looking for a pearl of great value so he's already seeking he's looking for it and, and this is a parable by the way so Jesus describes his kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and he, this is important. He describes it with parables. He doesn't describe it like it's this, that, and the other. You know, it's very interpretive. Parables are more like koans as opposed to, you know, little stories. He said the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is like a, a, a merchant looking for, um, you know, a jewel of great value. And upon finding it, sells everything to get it all right and it hit me it was okay you know i've heard that so many times and it kind of like okay going to heaven the kingdom of heaven is like the afterlife if you read the gospel he's not talking about the afterlife he's talking about something present um it's like a, it's, it's, it's about you know so valuable you need to do everything in this life to get yourself right so you can get up into heaven that's the kind of the old interpretation. But to me, it just painted a picture of, it was almost like multiple levels. One level was this very moment, back to my original spiritual thing. This very present moment is that pearl. Stop living in the future or the past, right? Be here. Everything you need is right here if you embrace it. Let the other stuff go everything will be okay. That was one way. Uh, another way was how often we can actually be experiencing the kingdom when we lose ourselves in something we love to do, right? That's the kingdom too, when we totally just get absorbed in something we love to do. Um, and it struck me there is, is true, it's true. Um, things of great value and purpose, things that seem to call us are invitations to the kingdom. Mm. Yeah. And the kingdom, as you're saying it, is the kingdom is, uh, the, the good <laughs> news of Jesus was the kingdom of heaven is here. Right, yeah. Which, which you're interpreting as the kingdom of Kevin, the kingdom of heaven is in this moment. Yeah. Right? That, that's I, that's the that's here. A, that it's here. And so I've, I've thought a lot about this kingdom. I think he used it for a couple of reasons. One, because it was such a, it was such a hot phrase. It had been for hundreds of years, right? Kingdoms coming, kingdoms coming. So he probably was leveraging, uh, what was being used by his, his fellow um, Jewish practitioners. So I think that was part of it. Um, 
you know, we, we, we use the language that will resonate with the people around us. Um, I think, you know, I've thought about it. What does it actually mean? On one hand, it feels to be pointing to his experience of a unitive experience uh, of a transformational experience um, of opening to the will of God in each and every moment. Mm. Right. Mm. So you're not going to create a perfect environment with your mind. You open to the will of God or divinity, you know, use the word you want uh, in each and every moment. That's kind of the, the, at least the interpretation I get with it. Um, some, um, I can't remember his name, but um, someone, it was, he was in the integral uh, community when, when it was really hot in the early 2000s, Jim, someone, but he wrote a book called The Mind of Christ, I think. But um, he, he, he was pointing to something very close, if not the same thing, is that this kingdom was an awakening to the mind of Christ, which is a term that Apostle Paul used, um, which could be also interpreted as the mind of, of God, of spirit, you know, to, to put that mind on, to put on the mind of Christ, to embody the mind of Christ. So, yeah. So, that's, so if we combine the two experiences you just spoke about, you know, in other words, essentially the message is, the kingdom of heaven is found here in this moment. Yes. If, and it, and it becomes available when you change your heart and mind. When yes. You, when you shift the way you're looking at this moment, then you'll see that everything yes. is already here. Yes. And I guess that's, you know, similarly, I had a Christian background, uh, Catholic, and at some point having had, an awakening experience, I realized similar to you that I started to rehear all the messages from my youth. And one was certainly about the good news. And I remember specifically uh, the, the famous biblical quotation that says, knock and the door shall be open. Yes. When I realized that what, what that meant to me after I'd had a big awakening experience was there's literally nothing in the way. There's nothing in the way. All you have to do is express interest. <laughs> That's right. In entering, and the door will. It, and, and it doesn't. It doesn't even say. My memory, at least, it says, "Knock, and the door shall be open." Right. Yes. Yes. It, it almost doesn't even say, "Knock, and we'll open the door for you." It's that's almost right. like, "Knock, and you'll find out the door was already it's open." open you yeah. know. And I guess that's where you start to go. Oh. The, you start to hear, you're hearing a different dimension of what's in the scripture. And, you know, I suppose from one point of view, no one will ever know what the scripture meant. And it was, they're all written by many people. And, you know, historically it's hard. And yet, at least, you know, my experience and, and from what I'm hearing your experiences, as we have our own awakening to, to a, a much more, open mind and heart you you feel the wisdom coming through yes. the words you started oh that's what what that meant and this i probably won't get right but it's also uh i think in a similar location in the bible where 
Jesus is talking about everybody's worried about everything. They're all fretting and look at the birds in the sky. And you know, my father takes care of them. Why do you think he would do you any less? You know, that's right. And I realized, Oh, this is, you know, he's really saying that, that this is all meant to work. You know, yes. this is not this, nobody made a mistake here. <laughs> yes. And if we were, you know, yes, good and bad things happen as there's another place in the Bible where he talks about there will be poor always. It's not that yeah. everything's always going to be right, but there's some larger perspective in which we recognize that, as you said in the very beginning, from that perspective, everything is okay. Even with the crit sit situation, yeah. even with all the pressure, even with all the things we don't like, there's a higher perspective in which it's okay. It's okay. Absolutely. And, and there is a, uh, at least at the time, and it's, I've, I've revisited that again, it comes and goes, but there's a profound relief. And at one point, Jesus does say, um, my yoke is easy. Take your yoke off, of course, you know, uh, us being a, like a plow mule or something struggling. He's like, well, yoga. And, and, and the weird thing about Christianity, because it, it can be, it's not from our relative perspective, it's definitely not all good news. Right? I mean, uh, suffering seems to be baked into the equation when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament. It seems that that is part of the equation and it doesn't seem logical to our rational minds. So it does not escape um, the possibility, if not the, uh, the likelihood that we will suffer. Uh, and it seems to be part of it. That's mm. the weird thing, right? Um, it seems like the characters in the Bible, um, Old and New Testament, change either because of some profound sufferings going on, bad stuff, um, or they're drawn for some strong sense of love. Mm. But status quo and, um, uh, you know, uh, the life of ease doesn't seem to transform us, <laughs> right? So, so that also shifted me uh, as far as like, it's part of the equation too. Mm. And I can't figure it all out. <laughs> Wonderful. So we're kind of caught up to date, right, with you in terms yes. of the story. So, so you started, like a lot of people, you know, uh, religiously involved with Christianity. Um, not not a particularly personal devotion to it, but a more or less culturally, uh, you know, you were you were culturally indoctrinated into that True. particular faith. That, that was just a coincidence. If you had been born in India, you would have been a Buddhist, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you, you weren't, you, it wasn't a chosen path. And then you pursued the kinds of things people pursue right up to a career uh, and a pretty good one as an engineer. And you banged into this, you, you hit this moment of intense pressure. And in that moment, whatever was the right mix of, of uh, storminess popped something in your experience that changed your life because it, it revealed to you the good news, which is that everything's okay. 
Yes. That the, the kingdom of heaven is here. And, and even though life continues to go up and down and up and down and all around, there's a background faith that everything's okay. And that, that's what makes the yoke light. You know, so. Yeah, and, and there, there is the, the other aspect of not only is it all, all okay, but it becomes more apparent how, you know, the word that keeps coming up for me is just precious, honestly. Yes. Um, it, it, just how precious all this is. And, and I even think sometimes, like, if I could go back in time and let's say be with my grandparents who are no longer with me, but, um, and just spend one of those summer days where it was super boring. Granny's watching the days of our lives. Papa's working out in the garden or whatever. It would have been one of those days so mundane, but I can I totally see it being a precious moment, right? And I know this moment right here is like that too, right? So, um, so everything's okay. And at the same time, not only is it okay, it's like, you know, just, it's amazing. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a miracle. Just this existence is, is crazily, weirdly, strangely amazing. And it's interesting to hold the paradox of it's okay and it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, because, and this is where I think language gets tricky because it is amazing and What's amazing about it is that it's always okay. You know? <laughs> That's right, exactly. It's, it's not amazing in the normal sense, like it's your birthday and everyone's giving you gifts, so that's amazing. That's right. It's not a relative amazing. It's an amazing that can't be unamazing. So, that's right. Yeah, you know, when it's an exactly. amazing that can't be unamazing, there's something that's not amazing about it. It's, it's ordinary then. It's, yeah. But the fact that it's ever present, you know, in the Hindu tradition, they would talk about it as Satchitananda, truth, consciousness, bliss. It's the, the underlying substratum of reality is always this, this love of life, you know, and, and then you realize that's true in every moment, not just the good moments, even, even the bad yeah. moments. Yes, and, and, and it, it creates a desire not only to pursue, but also, um, you know, at first it felt like a bucket list. I wanted to go and experience all these different things. And, but it, it, it quickly, well, I don't know how quickly, but uh, it, at some point it shifted to being more curious how life was living me, if I can allow it to do so. Mm, right. It was different, you know, it's almost like instead of um, allowing yourself to um, swim upstream or cross stream, it's to kind of like, let the currents take you you know, and, and, and kind of trust it. And, uh, um, and that, that also takes a, a pretty massive burden off of you to try to mm -hmm. figure everything out ahead right. of time. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so faith, here you are today, you yeah. have, you know, you, you were raised Christian, had a big experience, went away from the church, were exposed to all kinds of philosophical ideas, Ken Wilbur, Craig Hamilton, myself, you know, different teachings, 
east and west and and then more recently started to have this spontaneous uh, reawakening to the Christian wisdom. Uh, so where do you go from there? Well, you don't know because you're just going to follow the path as it opens. Yeah, yeah, but things pop up. It is interesting. Once I kind of embraced it, um, there's a good friend, older uh, gentleman uh, in church who just happened to say, hey, let's do a retreat, you know, and you do that meditation thing, don't you? So I would go and um, on these little small weekend retreats and do the meditation. And then it's turned into a daily meditation, you know, Monday through Friday with a, a group. And currently we are doing a four week. It's meditation, but 10, 10 minutes of the 30 minutes, we're reading scripture. It's almost like we're, you know, the, I guess the, catchphrase is we're allowing scripture to inform our meditation and we're using meditation to explore scripture. And instead of just those two examples I gave you earlier, which were New Testament, literally backed up to Genesis, right? So we're exploring with meditation, uh, the fewer words, the better. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What could that really mean? Because language hadn't always been around. So we should be able to explore what it means to be created in the image of God without language. Um, And then when Moses sees uh, the burning bush, everybody knows that. But he's like, who are you? It's like, I am that I am. And every generation, future and past, will know me as I am. If that's not a pointer to pure consciousness, I don't know what is. and of, and of course, how do, you, how do you know God? Be still and know that I am God. So the Old Testament's loaded with it too to give us the foundation, the tools uh, for people who are more biblically inclined to approach meditation, right? It's not some Eastern thing necessarily. And then we'll shift into the New Testament. So it's truly an exploration. Right. I don't have it all mapped out. So that's what I'm doing. So this four week thing with a small group and they seem to really be uh, getting a lot out of it. I know I am. And uh, I don't I'm trying to minimize the preparation. I actually let things come. And sometimes it may literally be 15 minutes before the time. It's like, do this and it'll feel like the perfect thing to do. So that's kind of where I am. Yeah. Beautiful. And you can see what's what's it's interesting how the spiritual pursuit, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily take you away from the religion of your youth, right? It, 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 That's right. Of course, it could. There's examples of that, right? But the, the deeper spiritual pursuit can also bring you back to the core of that religion in, in a way that, you know, either wasn't presented to you or that you weren't ready to hear uh, True. at the time. So there's, there doesn't need to be a fear of, of authentic spiritual pursuit because it will bring you to where you need to be. And yeah, no, that's, that's a beautiful way to put it. I think it'll bring you where you need to be. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's living with the trust, right? And, uh, and, and that too is um, 
is a bit of a relief, even though what I'm noticing is you may be asked to do more and more. So your responsibility may not decrease. So uh, you may be asked to, to step it up, to be right. a bridge, um, translator, teacher, things like that, that you would never have seen. Somebody told me this even 10 years ago. I would like, no way. Uh -uh. Mm, right. And that's how life is for everybody. Yeah. Right? Even, even if you're on a more traditional path, you still don't know where you're going to end up. In that's years. true. Uh, but yes, in, in, in this kind of life, in a spiritual life, I think you embrace the fact that you don't know beforehand. Uh, you give up the idea that you think you do know. Uh, so just the last uh, thing I wanted to mention is that you recently did uh, a year-long training with me, a meditation teacher training. And, uh, and I, you just described some of the work that you're doing using meditation in conjunction with this uh, contemplation and exploration of scripture, which I think is a really beautiful combination. Uh, and, you know, I can feel, I feel like you're getting, you're getting your feet on the ground, so to speak, and you're building up some momentum with what you're doing. And I, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to more of this kind of work uh, as you do it and, and very much intending to uh, support your bringing this kind of work to the world because I think I think it's incredibly valuable. It's it it sings to my own heart because there was a time when, as I was moving more from the religious upbringing of my youth, in the Eastern teachings, I finally heard something that I remember loud as day. I heard what I'm learning here could be summarized in the phrase, Jesus wasn't kidding. Because <laughs> I got like, oh, he meant all that stuff. He meant that stuff, right? <laughs> to the and, point, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And, and that's, that's joyous. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's completely joyous. And it's, it really, for me, as I can see for you, it, it brought with it a, a radical, a much deeper appreciation for the scriptures and for the teachings of Jesus that I had heard all through my childhood, but had never, they never had a place to land in me at that yeah. time. Uh, and suddenly they did. So, so we're all looking forward to more from you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I do want to, uh, from the depths of my heart, thank you for all that you have done for me personally, honestly. And um, not only your teachings, but just who you are and the example of uh, living your own life, following that thread throughout, right? Um, it's, it also has um, lightened my burden. <laughs> so thank you, Jeff. You're very welcome. And thank you, Tim. Thank you for sharing with everyone today. Uh, and. I look forward to seeing how this all develops and we'll have you on for a, a follow-up call sometime soon. All right. Thank, Thank you. you so Take much. Care.